Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, folks. It is a very nice morning out there today. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast. Today we've got uh, some information about... uh, It's been a big week. We've got... uh, There was, of course, the Yes Vote came in and it fell the right way. We've got a report about that, the Melbourne event, uh, after half past eight. We've got some information about Manus. We've got some information about the Peace Pilgrims who have gone to court in Alice Springs. And uh, to kick off, we're going to have a little bit of stuff about saving public housing, which is an incredibly important campaign that's going on at the moment. This weekend, Saturday, is actually the uh, by-election, Northcote by-election, so that's also a very important event. Public housing, saving public housing is an important element in that particular campaign. It's interesting, you may have noted that the Andrews government, the Labor government, has actually The by-election happened because of the unfortunate death of uh, the government minister, Fiona Richardson, earlier this year. Very uh, sad occasion. Uh, There's a head-to-head battle going on between the Labor candidate and the Greens, but uh, Labor, being a a sophisticated uh, political party has made some deals. It's come made clear that it's made a deal with the uh, animal justice party who's going to uh, uh, put their preferences to Labor, as well as a deal with the another minor party, the Liberal Democrats candidate, who are going to direct their preferences away from the Greens, uh, which is, makes the entire affair a very interesting struggle. So that's going on to today. Uh, and as I said, one of the important elements of that is this uh, public housing issue that's going on. I went down to the rally that they had at the Walker Street walk-up uh, November the 11th, uh, different uh, people spoke. Uh, but uh, first off, I got some information about, uh, uh, generally speaking, we can find out a little bit more about what was going on. So here we go. We're down here at uh, the Walker Street walk-ups at the uh, Rally for Public Housing and I'm just here with Spike from the uh, Homeless Persons Union. And you were just telling me? 
Well, we were just discussing the fact that the city of Melbourne is treating homelessness, street homelessness or rough sleeping as a public order, as a public order issue as opposed to a housing or human rights issue. There's actually a hotline that people can ring to report homelessness issues. So it's 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 framed as as yeah as a public order issue. That if you if you witness any homelessness issues, to ring a particular number, a hotline, as if you were reporting terrorism or something of that nature. So we, it's it, we, law and order is being used to to sort of punish people that are experiencing homelessness. And rather, as I said, I'm going to repeat myself. Rather than treating it as a housing issue, it's being treated like a law and order issue. And they've even want they, the Herald Sun has even suggested that the that the the city of Melbourne use a mental health act to force people um, against their will to access services that not to not to engage with services not freely, but to, to have them diagnosed um, not di well not diagnosed necessarily but if they're a danger to themselves or seem to be a danger to the community that they can be picked up by a cat team. So that, that's the sort of situation we have right now. There was a, an article in the um, Herald Sun last week, I believe on the 25th, where um, Robert thought the, the headline was, we're going to take back our streets. So it's all... It's, so the homeless aren't part of the community? That's right. They're, they're seen as the other, and they're seen as people that are, that are somehow um, are, are keeping the, the community under siege and are blocking... Uh, 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 are getting in the way of the retail outlets and making life difficult for consumers. Now we're here at what is actually a really pleasant housing estate, which is one of the ones that uh, the government is going to hand over to private developers. Great land, great community. What's uh, This is another example of uh, one group of the community saying that the other part of the community aren't important? It's it's another example. You're right. It's another example of the state government abrogating its responsibilities to people who are struggling. Yeah, walking away from their responsibilities to provide housing for people that need it, and gifting public assets that belong to all of us that we've all paid for with our taxes to corporate organisations. Not only do they get tax cuts, they get gifted public public property. And see, for me. That is the bottom line. Community organisations can cherry pick their tenants. Their rents aren't 25% of someone's wage or someone's income. So people that have experienced homelessness or are on benefits are going to find it very difficult to get into community housing um, properties. So they're going to cherry pick their tenants. And so properties and estates where people have been able to put their kids through school and keep a roof over their heads are now going to be gifted to corporate organisations where they only have to um, build 10% or replace 10% with public housing. So we're eating away at our public housing stock and, and giving the, these corporate entities um, a free kick basically. So yeah, it is another example of the state government and the federal government um, give a corporate Australia access to what is what belongs to the public. Thanks. No worries. G'day, I'm from 3CR. Do you want to tell me why you've come today? I've come today because I'm disappointed and appalled at the Labor government decision to privatise public housing. 
it's unfortunate that, uh, as I mentioned, it's the Labor government that's doing this. They should be protecting public assets, not uh, prioritising them. why you've come here today. I'm from I'm 3CR. Yeah. So you're a public housing tenant? I am. One of the um, ten the estates that's um, due to be demolished. Right. Yeah, so so uh, hoping, hoping, hoping we can get through and you know, save public housing because there'll always be a need for you know a whole lot of different reasons. People need public housing. What's the government said to you about the place where you live? Oh, well, they give us a beautiful fairy story, of course. So, you know, it's going to be all going to be wonderful. Like two weeks before, it was just before Christmas last year, we got, oh, wonderful news, we're going to demolish your estates two weeks before Christmas or something like that. So, yeah, that's what they're doing. And what they do they say? The truth and nothing they say or even the paper handouts, they give nothing's in legally binding language. So... You know? So you're pretty confused? I'm not confused. I've, I've been coming to meetings for Safe Public Housing. So, Where do you think you'll end up if uh, your housing estate does well, get... We've told a whole lot of fairy stories about that too, so we don't know. I'm on my own, but people with um, a lot of children, if they want to come back to their estates, they've only got one or two or possibly three bedrooms. So, you know, people with five or six children or even more cannot come back anyway so can I can I ask you why you've come here today um, I'm a psychiatrist working uh, with homeless people and with prisoners and I think that uh, one of the most important determinants of what uh, the neoliberal state would refer to as mental health is uh, the material conditions of the people that we treat as patients so I'm here to support their welfare in a way that doesn't just buy wholeheartedly into the neoliberal fantasy about a chemical imbalance or uh, some other uh, phantasmatic creature causing their so-called mental illness, but rather actually attending to their material needs. Can you tell me why you've come here today? I'm from 3CR. Um, well, I work with uh, Fiona, who has been um, rallying the cause and their friends at Public Housing Victoria. Um, blog and her submission writing so and I'm aware that it's a huge issue that it's got no real exposure I work in the disability advocacy and I know that a lot of the people that we work with if they don't have that bedrock of uh, safe housing well nothing else really matters for people so I mean to sell off public assets in this and you know unconscionable way for doubtful benefit to the broader community and certainly the public tenants is, is wrong, you know, it's clearly wrong. Surprising for a Labor government, uh, I must say. Thanks. <laughs> Today we're taking a stand in support of public housing in Victoria. We're opposed to and we're fighting against the Labor government's plans to demolish public housing across the city and sell off the land and build private housing. Labor's plan is outrageous, it's a scandal. It's so outrageous that they can't tell the truth about it. 
You'll never hear the truth about Labor's plans from any of their uh, mouths. A couple of nights ago, a few of us went along to a candidates forum for the Northcote by-election. And when we watched as the Labor candidate for Northcote, Claire Burns, uh, spewed a whole range of lies, the standard lies that we're hearing from Labor about their plans here. And so we thought it was worthwhile because most of what you hear about this proposal are Labor's lies. We thought it'd be worthwhile just to kick off the rally um, by busting a few myths, by telling a few truths. So the first one is that this plan has anything at all to do with public housing. It's called the Public Housing Renewal Program. It has nothing at all to do with public housing. To Labor, public housing is a problem for them. They need it off the estates, they need it demolished, they need it gone so they can build private housing. The second lie, and this is probably one of the worst lies and the most common lies, is that this plan will de deliver more public housing to Victoria. This is outrageous and it's a, it's a fabrication. They say 10% more public housing will be delivered as a result of this program. It's a lie. There will be less public housing after they finish with this plan if they get through with it. On this estate here, right now, there's 205 bedrooms available for occupation by public housing tenants. 205. After Labor's plans, after that 10% extra, there'll be about 130 bedrooms available for occupation by public tenants. Fewer public tenants will be able to live here. This is worse for public tenants. This will make our wait list worse. And related to that, the third lie that they're telling tenants is that they'll be able to come back. It's going to be great for you. We're going to build new houses for you. You'll all be coming back. On this estate, there's 52 three-bedroom units. Families live in, in those units. In the new plans, there's five. Tell us, Labor, how are those families coming back? Five units. 52 units to five units. Do the maths. They're smart people. They know these tenants are not coming back. They have no intention of allowing them to re return and they, in fact, cannot return. It's really exciting to see everyone out here today uh, to take a stand. And we've got a really great lineup of speakers and we're going to kick it off with William. Uh, William's a tenant on the Northgate Estate. Uh, he's been involved in, in organising uh, this, this uh, rally, which is put together by a network of people called the Public Housing Defence Network. William. Hi. Look, thank you all for coming. So yes, my name's William. I'm a tenant here on the estate. And uh, the look, to start with, which I think it is like reflecting on the ownership of this land, was originally Wurundjeri. And believe it or not, the treaty between Batman and the Wurundjeri was supposedly signed, in a sense, on the Yarra, on the Yarra Creek, on the sorry, Mary Creek, just off his estate. And the uh, 1830s, where you know, a large part of Melbourne was exchanged for handkerchiefs and blankets and things like that. And the uh, and just beside that was a there was a uh, stone quarry, and that has just been which is half the size of this um, estate, which was just sold for 13 million. And uh, like this is now an affluent area. You know, if that, if half this estate is worth 13 million, and the state government intention is simply to demolish it that's the end of their involvement then it will go to a developer values it at you know 25 million or something which is about what you could buy eight houses in West Garth for and as the effect of you know what will happen to this land it is like it's privatization by stealth and it is a sort of form of subsidized gentrification the families here we actually can't come back mathematically yes we have each been promised that we can come back and uh however the mathematics of 
52 three bedrooms into three doesn't make sense and also the time frame doesn't so the it really is a quite an extensive development and when I spoke to the architects they said minimum three years from demolition until anyone's coming back so that's a five-year time frame realistically by then people have been spread around everywhere so and look in terms of the public understanding of what's going on it is really really limited I would say that probably half the people in the estate despite the consultation process don't know that that this is happening and once we into the broader community nobody knows at all but the basic plan is that there will be you know in phase one tranche a is 1100 homes across Melbourne are being transferred from public ownership into something else and the and the, all these walk-ups look like this through all the low-rise and it does look like government in a sense having taken on the high-rise blocks in Fitzroy and, and uh, Carlton having had you know being essentially stopped by public action decided that's too hard and that the walk-ups are easier to take on and uh, because there are over a hundred of them and most places have somewhere between 100 and 200 residents and it is very, very hard to organise a group that small. And that, especially when the, in the sort of environment we have, which is, people may not be aware, but behind you are the offices of the Victorian Public Tenants Association. And the Public Tenants Association sounds like an organisation for public tenants. That's what it looks like to me. But the, in fact, it is just a government organisation. So the government pays it, it's, the staff are, and board is appoint, are appointed by the government. There is no way for a public tenant to join it. And when I went along and said, what can I do? They told me there is, the opportunities for involvement are limited. And by limited, they meant none. So this body actually represents public tenants. It makes submissions to the government on behalf of public tenants, but it is in fact just the government. And by being there, it acts to sort of prevent anything else from happening. It's a really fucked up situation. So the, I really, look, I don't know what to do about it, but I really wish that there was something that could be done about that. Because that, to me, is worse than having, I would much rather fight an opposition that made itself obvious it was an opposition rather than someone who is pretending that they represent you and doesn't. In terms of, look, and on a personal level, I can say this process is really stressful. It, uh, it really is exhausting. And it is terrifying in the fact that there is a perception in my mind that, you know, by standing up and objecting to the government when Martin Foley, if the Greens complain, he calls them liars. And, well, what am I to him, you know, like disability pensioner? You know, like, really, I could end up with nothing again. We spent three years homeless. The thought of doing that is actually frightening. I'm sure there'll be more of these uh, rallies. And, hope, and each one, maybe a few more people will come, different estates, and the public will start to notice. Thanks. Thanks, William William's right to point out that this is just the start of the government's plan. So this is, this is phase one. Um, so there's dozens and dozens of similar estates across Melbourne. And if the government gets away with this first tranche, um, this is the future for public housing in Victoria, essentially.
Hi, I'm Aaron Pedersen, and you're listening to 3CR. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie on this Saturday morning. Obviously, if you're listening by podcast, it's not Saturday, but still it's great information. Uh, we're down at Walker Street Walk-Up, where there was a rally November the 11th about uh, the Labor government's plan to uh, offload at least nine uh, estates across Melbourne, all beautifully uh, located in now... Uh, very uh, suburbs that have gone up in the economic uh, framework. Uh, And uh, the uh, public tenants are getting very angry because they don't know what's actually going on, but they can read between the lines. And the general public doesn't seem to have noticed that uh, a whole lot of uh, public assets are being handed over to private hands. Let's hear the last bits of uh, that particular rally. G'day guys. Can you hear me? Yeah, good. Uh, my name's Steve. I'm 65. I live in Noon Street, the state. They just spent about uh, one and a half to two million doing them up a few years back. We were shipped out for six months and came back. Everything's, everything's, the places are spotless. There's nothing wrong with them. There's a playground at the back, a basketball court. That's all going to go. There'll be no room for any kids there. So, you know, as far as I can see, it's a waste of money and a grab for money. Uh, I don't know what I can really say about the, um, about fighting for it, but I, I, I'm an old union boy. I go back, to the, go back to the Norm Gallagher days. Norm Gallagher wouldn't let this happen. One, no builders labourers that touch any of these places. Transport, the transport company wouldn't deliver anything here. They wouldn't take nothing away from here. They, tr- they tried it years ago. Norm Gallagher shut them down. Same, same as the transport unions. Who, re- who remembers 1979, Razorback? 1,600 semis blocked the Hume Freeway. The big big companies try to, uh, they hi- IPEC hired trains to take all their freight to Western Australia. Storm and Packers Union send them back. We're not unloading this. Send them all back. We need the unions behind us. Yeah. Any of you guys here, anything to do with the unions, put a word in somebody's ear, for God's sake. Thank you very much. Thank you. So Sue Bolton is a councillor out at Moreland, and there's a, an estate that's being targeted in Moreland, which is the Grand Place estate. It's very similar in composition to this estate, so... There's a lot of three-bedroom uh, houses on the Grand Place estate and there certainly will be um, nearly no three-bedroom houses on the Grand Place estate afterwards. And, and the families there um, are fairly well organised, um, thank, thanks largely to Sue's efforts there. Um, so, Sue. Hi, everybody. Hello. I think we have to understand this attack on public housing as being part of the general privatisation push across society. It's an attack on working class people. And people don't use that term working class anymore. Well, a lot of people are trying to forget that, but that's basically what it is. It's attack on public housing. It's attack on our services through privatisation. So we've got now the privatisation of disability services. Um, We've got all sorts of privatisation of services happening across the board. We've got attacks on Centrelink. We've got attacks on 
new start and we've got to think that the housing crisis is both because housing has been treated as a commodity for speculation to make profits out of at the same time as they're attacking our right to an income whether it be um, attacking our wages or attacking new start and single parent pension they're trying to absolutely impoverish us and the things these things are connected these attacks across the board um, we've got all sorts of services they're trying to privatise at the moment and the next step will be schools and hospitals. Um, at the moment they're you know, privatising disability and all sorts of different things. We've seen what, how they've destroyed TAFE. So I think all of these things have got to be seen in, as a connected thing. And one of the ways that they're... Um, one of the reasons they're doing it is because they're cutting corporate taxes. So, I mean, I'm just trying to say that as, um, as a bit of an introduction to what they're doing. We have to put the attack on public housing in the context of this overall attack on working class people. Our community spirit, our community connections and our collective solidarity. So it's no secret that they're attacking unions, making it harder and harder for workers on the job and delegates to be able to talk to each other. And I think that's what they're doing with our public housing as well. They're trying to attack our ability to be able to talk to each other, to be able to have a sense of community. That's what they're doing. And they're using very sneaky terms to maybe make people who don't follow politics very much to think, well, it's okay to destroy public housing. They're saying to people left, right and centre that public housing's failed, there's lots of problems with drugs and social problems and blah, 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 so public housing's not worth saving. Well, that's just a lie. That's a lie to try and dupe us into... into um, accepting the destruction of something that's really, really important. So it's really important for us to get the message out that these are real communities. One of the, well, a number of people at Grand Place in West Brunswick, uh, but one woman stands out and she said that to me that she lost a whole family in the Civil War in Somalia and this is her family now and it feels like her family's gonna be destroyed again. Her family's about to be taken away from her because if they get away with this, they'll all be dispersed through Melbourne. Whereas at the moment, because it's public housing, it's long-term permanent rental, you get to know who's safe for you to leave your kids with. You get to work out all sorts of community relationships where you look after each other. It's not just the buildings they're destroying and the affordability, it's also the actual community, the community functioning. And so that means a lot of people are gonna be really on the edge because they won't, they'll be sent to places where they won't have community support and that will put tip some people over the edge. So this is something really vital for us to say. I think we've had, um, there've been public meetings on some of the estates this is our second rally, I think, no, third rally since this campaign really launched, but we really have to try and draw more organisations into taking a stand, in particular unions. You were saying that you were at the Candidates Forum for Northcote? Yep, 
And the Labor candidate there, one of the things that she said in defending the demolition of public housing is that they needed to build more diverse communities on the estates. And we obviously say that's outrageous. Um, public housing communities are proud communities and you don't get a more diverse community than a public housing community. Um, so we know it's a lie and it's an outrage that she used that to defend um, their proposal. Hi, I'm Aaron Pedersen and you're listening to 3CR. From every corner of the world, they came from all around. When in 1851 they struck gold upon the ground Every voyage was a long one Months upon the stormy sea Some to seek their fortune Others escaping slavery What they found on the gold fields Was ruled by brutish thugs Discrimination and taxation Mixed with swinging billy clubs The gold was getting scarcer And cops were getting worse the diggers burned their licenses and vowed to end this curse. They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross. They'd stand together and break the license laws. From 20 different nations, they gathered here as one in Ballarat beneath the Southern Sun. The Crown tried to divide them. Giving preference to some The diggers wouldn't have it They said it's all of us or none They built a stockade While the redcoats massed nearby And they heard the miners shouting We're ready now to die The rebel miners waited For whatever lay in store And on one December morning In 1854 The redcoats attacked the camp Dozens there would fall Amongst these brave gold diggers who'd risen to the call They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross They'd stand together and break the license laws From twenty different nations they gathered here as one In Ballarat beneath the Southern Sun Things go their way But when 15,000 miners rallied a month later on the day The crown conceded everything All of their demands They'd want an end to license fees The right to vote and land So here's to Joe and Charlie Waller and the rest They drew the battle lines And put crown rule to the test The diggers may have lost the battle but they quickly won the day And those shots fired in Victoria Were heard 10,000 miles away They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross They'd stand together and break the license laws From 20 different nations They gathered here as one In Ballarat beneath the Southern Sun They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross They'd stand together and break the license laws From twenty different nations They gathered here as one In Ballarat beneath the southern sun You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and of course that was David Robick's 
uh, owed to the uh, Eureka Stockade, and it's coming up again this year. The celebrations Sunday, the third of December, four a.m. to ten p.m. for the Hardy. There's uh, various things that you can uh, points at which you can actually be part of those anniversary celebrations. It's the hundred and sixty third event. Uh, a celebratory event, uh, Eureka Stockade site, corner of Stall and Eureka Street, Ballarat. You want more information about this, you can obviously uh, go to the uh, people who are organising this, which is uh, uh, these people are, there's going to be a, a dinner on the 27th of November, which uh, precedes the Sunday, the 3rd of December, of course. Uh, that's going to be at the Railway Hotel, 800 Nicholson Street, Fitzroy North, and the people who are going to be celebrated as being part of the Eureka Spirit are the Longford SO workers. They're going to uh, be presented with the Spirit of Eureka Award in recognition of their courage and determination for more than 140 days on the picket line down there near Longford. Uh, you want to know more information about that, you can find out on 043 Five eight o one three double five, or you can email Spirit of Eureka Vic three at gmail dot com. That's Spirit of Eureka Vic three at gmail dot com. It starts at about uh, six thirty uh, on Monday, the twenty seventh of November. But on the line now, we've got Chris Breen from the uh, Refugee Action Collective. And he's going to give us an update on what's going on at Manus. There was a big rally last night again at the steps of at the State Library. That's right, Chris? Uh, that is right. We've had <coughs> rallies for uh, three weeks in a row now. It's, I think, the 20th day that the um, siege has been going on on Manus Island. Um, <coughs> that, uh, you know, the PNG government doing... Dutton's dirty work is trying to force the refugees from one prison to a worse one. Um, just uh, two days ago, the refugees held a protest uh, for water, uh, highlighting what has been done to their water supplies. Uh, so not only uh, are they being denied uh, running water, um, they're not able to get the water they used to get, but water they've collected themselves in wheelie bins and rain tanks from uh, rainwater. Uh, the rain tanks have had holes um, put in them. The wheelie bins have been knocked over. Um, and people are being denied water, which is an, you know, an absolute human right, just like freedom is an absolute human right. What's, um, what numbers are we talking about now? Uh, there are around 420 people who are still standing strong in the siege um, after 20 days. The, um, what, what, uh, we've also heard that the New Zealand government has said that it's prepared to uh, start taking some of these people. What's actually stopping this from happening? Uh, what's stopping the New Zealand government from taking some of the people is the, the Turnbull government. Um, the, the Turnbull government does exercise effective control over what goes on in the detention camps. Um, uh, they've got, uh, you know, They've done this deal with PNG. Uh, I mean, the other thing that was is stopping PNG, you know, directly dealing with New Zealand, uh, 
is the fact that Australia gives PNG $600 million a year, which I think makes up about two-thirds of their budget. Um, they are very you know, directly reliant on Australia. And while they are angry about the situation, and you can see more and more PNG ministers speaking out and saying that this is Australia's problem, Australia needs to, to, to do something, um, I don't think they're about to, um, to, to do a deal directly with New Zealand. Um, and it's certainly the case that um, Bill Shorten, the Labor Party, has come out saying that Australia should take uh, New Zealand's offer which is a good thing, and it adds to the pressure on Turnbull a little bit. But I think if Shorten would go that step further and say, actually, you know, you're talking about 600 men on Manus, um, <clears throat> not much more on Nauru, we can bring them all here, I think, you know, it would it would ramp up the pressure on the coalition um, considerably. Like, you know, I, I do think the as grim as things are on Manus, the coalition is... Is currently weak and divided. The citizenship crisis rolls on. They've been pushed back on equal marriage, and they're increasingly isolated over the treatment of refugees on Manus, which is barbaric. I don't think people. I mean, I'm sure I'm not alone in wondering how can people be so inhuman. What What are they expecting these people to die of thirst and uh, lack of food? What, what What is their argument? What's uh, What's going on? Well, what they want to do is to force um, the refugees... Manus was declared legal by the PNG Supreme Court over a year ago. Yeah. It had to close. Um, The other thing is it's been built in the middle of the Navy base and the Navy wants their their base back, which is some of the the local politics um, as well. Uh, So responding to these things... um, Dutton wants the refugees um, a bit more dispersed, wants to put them to three different locations, still on Manus Island. Um, They're still in the state of constructing some of these locations where they want the refugees uh, to go. You you might have seen drone footage on um, SBS last night. Um, uh, But I think the point is worth making that Dutton isn't closing Manus. He's building a new prison. You know, he's turning into a... definite prison island. And so what they're trying to do is the, the refugees are saying enough is enough. We're, we're, we, we want our freedom. We're not being moved to a worse place. And uh, the PNG authorities doing Dutton's dirty work are trying to starve them into submission. Uh, they're saying you will move. So uh, the uh, vigils that have been going on, uh, this mm. is applying pressure. They're going to continue, aren't they? Uh, yes, they are going to continue. Uh, we might look at doing something a little bit different next time, but um, you know, check our Facebook and website. Yeah, this this is just yeah. horrendous. All right, okay. Thanks for talking to me, Chris. I'm sure you're a, a sleepy boy at this time of day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, long day yesterday. Thank thank you very much for for having me on. Lock them up forever on some brute, lethal Fear campaign, bureaucracy
Democratic mental bricks of rhetoric and blame, blame, blame. For the folks off the boat seeking freedom from strikes and human rights, why else would they be risking their life? All I know is it's outrageous, we're courageous, sons and daughters crossing waters now living in cages for ages, waiting while we conversating, arguing, debating on what's a real Australian or who's just faking or not assimilating more, who's on the roof, hunger striking to their life aboard, while circle goes berserk with their pepper spray, politicking politicians wishing it would go away, but the issue's the same, as long as people do. And held hostage by attitudes. We all vote people, the less indigenous group. Many of them still treated like refugees on their own land. Intervention. Yeah, that's uh, Asylum, Combat, Wombat. And uh, if you want to be uh, part of the solution, there's a fundraiser for asylum seekers. Today, 4.30pm to 6pm, St George's Anglican Church, 296 Glenfrey Road, Malvern. Uh, Book your tickets at uh, trybooking.com. It's called... uh, It's all about... uh, an international Melbourne-based trio of gifted musicians who de- decade-long collaboration showcases the best of Antipodean Celtic music, Luminality, L-I-M-I-N-A-L-I-T-Y. As I said, it's on at 4.30pm uh, to 6pm, St George's Anglican Church, 296 Glenfrey Road, Melbourne, uh, Catherine Connolly, Celtic Heart, Greg Hunt, violin and mandolin, Jules Vines, vocals, keyboard. Uh, Adults 25, concession 20, children under 16, free. And uh, we've got an update of Corey Green's when uh, one of the 3CR uh, programmers here. She uh, went up to uh, Alice Springs last week. We uh, talked to Paulie Christie, uh, one of the peace pilgrims who's been taken to court for uh, doing a praying vigil at uh, Pine Gap outside uh, the US base outside uh, Alice Springs. Uh, here's a little bit of uh, information that's been put together by Corey. I don't think most Australians are aware of the fact that in 2016, six activists uh, trespassed at the Pine Gap Defence Facility. So this is a huge spy base, military base located just outside of Alice Springs in Central Australia that's been the focus of, of protests and demonstrations really since it was built in the 1970s. So these six individuals, they committed no property damage, but they have broken into that base, um, gave themselves up to police, 
dropped banners and they were, they were there for a couple of hours in 2016. And they've been charged under um, an act that's actually only been invoked once before, the Defence Special Undertakings Act, which was toughened up and made even more repressive by the Rudd government a couple of years previously. And they, they now face seven years in jail. And I think it's important when they come to trial in Alice Springs in November that everybody is very well aware that although these individuals committed absolutely no damage at all, they were committed to nonviolence and to a peaceful demonstration, that the base itself is implicated in nuclear weapons targeting in our region. It's implicated in an illegal drone assassination program run by the United States government. And it is also implicated in US-run massive uh, surveillance effort that's targeted at civilian populations right around the world. That's what happens at Pine Gap. That's what it's for. And I think against the scale of the activities that go on there, which are also unknown to most people in this country, which our tax, uh, taxes help go to support, the actions of these peaceful demonstrators, I think not only should they, be, uh, should they have been charged, not only should they not be facing seven years in prison, we need to hear their point of view. We need their voices raised. So they're intending on using that trial as a platform to run that argument, but we need to make sure that they're properly, legally supported so that they don't end up serving up to seven years in prison for doing something uh, that I think most people really would support. They're standing up against massive institutionalised violence. They've taken a stand for peace, and we need to make sure that it doesn't cost them dearly. Hi, I'm Margie, and I'm here in Alice Springs. We've just come back after a year away. Uh, we were here last year for some protests, and we actually went into Pine Gap to have a good look at what was going on there, and we went and prayed on the mountain that some change would come. And tomorrow night, with some local people welcoming us here to this place, which is, of course, Aranda country, and there was a terrible invasion over 100 years ago, and so we are going to acknowledge that. We'll have an event up on Anzac Hill to remember the frontier wars, lest we forget the frontier wars is our thinking, that those wars are the basic things we as Australians need to remember and lament. And our, our inability to do so is driving these current wars and our involvement in these current wars. It means that we are still in this colonial mindset where we think we can take anything we want. The focus is, of course, Pine Gap, which is one of the largest war-fighting facilities in the world. Uh, with ballistic missiles and it's a military operations centre and decisions get made there to bomb people using drones, using helicopters and using big jets to bomb in all different sorts of theatres of war except that as we know they're not actually declared wars they're just places the United States goes to try and take control and we want to close Pine Gap and we went in there to stop Pine Gap and we want people to know what's going on there and we're drawing attention to it we want to shine a light on it because it's in darkness this is in this big shadow and the government says you're not allowed to talk about it well we're talking about it and that's what we want is we want everyone talking about it
As I said, 3CR's uh, Corey Green's up there in uh, Alice Springs and she's given us an update on Friday. The second trial has started, the usual trouble about shoes, but they had to let the defendants in barefoot. Everyone pleaded not guilty except for Jim Dolan, who didn't recognise the authority of the court. The judge took that as not guilty. Judge Joel Reeves seems to want a fair trial and started off calm but has quickly grown tired of Margaret Pistorius. Peace Pilgrims seemed jittery at first but got into the swing of things. Five government lawyers at first with three up the front, two down the back from the Department of Public Prosecutions. A third called Begbie from Department of Defence joined the back row lawyers in the afternoon. The lead lawyer, McHugh seems not very confident, which is surprising. Media are everywhere, including ABC and the New York Times. Jury has been chosen, three men and ten women, two visibly keen, two uh, visibly reluctant, 12 Anglos, no mob, one Asian woman. This is going to affect any argument around sovereignty. Peace pilgrims weren't allowed to give their opening argument because it was too political. Court is currently stalled because Department of Defence wants some evidence to be secret. The judge doesn't seem to like that but is considering it, has skipped that evidence and will consider secrecy next week. The ABC wants some evidence to be released to the media. First witnesses, PSO from Pine Gap was Gatsby. Pilgrims pursued line of questioning that would highlight their political motivations. So good on you, uh, Corey. We'll get more information about what's going on up in Alice Springs. And right at this moment, we have to go to Kevin. The week that was. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. A weak solidarity, Bricky team listener, when the vast majority of true blue Aussies said it was not all right to say no. Way out on the right, but not all right. It was right to say people can marry whoever they want to marry. I'm sure many of us voted yes. Well, it wasn't a vote, was it? It was a $122 million delaying tactic. Um, ticked yes, wondering why the hell anyone wants to marry anyone. The truly cynical might say it just hits you with the cost of the divorce. But if they want to, good on them. Why the hell? Hell is what it's all about. Sorry? Hell is what it's all about. Oh, Tiny, I didn't know you were there. Listen, it's former big supremo Tiny a bit more for the bosses. What, what do you mean? I mean all those people who thought it was all right to say yes will go to hell, will go to hell. All of them, 62% of people of voting age, unless they repent their sins, unless they repent their sins. 
Tiny, you said those who opposed a plebiscite ignored the mandate the government got with its 30 or so percent of the primary vote. The 70 percent had no rights. Exactly. We had a mandate and the hard left socialist party and the extreme left greens and the same sex sinners had an obligation to recognize our mandate to save them from their sins. Well, at least there's a mandate now for people to marry whom they want to marry. Certainly not. There is now an obligation to respect the rights of the more than 30% who voted no, who voted no. If the same-sex supporters ignore that right to frustrate these sinners at every turn, it will prove they have no respect for the democratic process, no respect for. So it's not winner-take-all. Depends who wins. But, but Tiny, aren't you happy that your sister, also politically conservative, can marry her long-term partner and Alan Joyce in profits, who runs the airline that used to be our airline, and Jennifer wants a cut to wages of the Business Profits Council and other arch-conservatives can now marry their long-term partners? No. The dear baby Jesus is weeping. Look, I've got nothing against gays and all those other gender thingy people with unnatural acts they want to teach our dear little children conceived in the dear image of the dear baby Jesus. Nothing whatever against, except, uh, go on, except, uh, except they're gay. The dear baby Jesus is weeping. But according to you, he made them. And according to you, he, I'll say he, Tiny, in respect for your beliefs, he wouldn't make something imperfect. Pagans like you don't understand the deep intelligence required to understand theological philosophy. Theological philosophy, although perfect. When I think about it, he did make me. He did make me. Yes, and more's the pity. Oh, sorry, that slipped out, Lister. Sorry, that was a terrible thing to say. I had planned to create a bit of satire around that repository of progressive thought, caring business class party backbencher Eric Abetz on the bosses, but Eric beat me to the punch. Let's not forget, and let's, for the sake of argument, allow a very generous 1% of the 30% of caring business class voters at the last election might have cast their vote saying, I am voting for a plebiscite on same-sex marriage. Not forget, Eric and co led the campaign that we must respect the mandate given by that 1%. So, beating us to the punch? The voices of the millions of no voters deserve to be recognised in the framing of any legislation. A hubristic winner-takes-all approach in this matter would ignore the will of millions of true blue Aussies who have concerns about changing marriage. Direct quote, so how can we outsatirise that? Did hope to have a word to that other great believer in true blue Aussie values, Corgi St. Bernardi, but apparently he's taken to bed and won't come out from under the blankets. Now he knows bestiality has been let loose on the land as he attempts to protect every possible orifice. Big Supremo Malcolm Tun of Bull did inject a line or two of partisanship into the bilateral yes supporter celebrations by declaring marriage equality could have been law ages ago if the socialists had supported the plebiscite. 
Uh, but Malcolm, the plebiscite was tidy and Eric and Corey et al's means of avoiding the inevitable. It could have been passed ages, ages ago if you'd had the guts to tell them where to get off, let Parliament vote and saved 122 mil and probably more in the process. Which shows that unlike Mr Shorten Ambition, I am a true leader who believes in democracy. Don't forget, we took the principled position this was not an issue Parliament should vote on. Um, so what happens now? Parliament will vote on it. And indeed, the media generally has been uh, painting the yes result as a victory for Big Mal. So apparently, the continual buckling at the knees, which gave us the 122 mil delaying tactic, was an act of political courage. Mentioned last week that when a white Christian, often cream of US, of the UN, of the US of the world youth trained killer or ex-trained killer, goes on one of the regular mass shooting sprees, big supremo Donald Trump or the poor says it's a mental health issue and has absolutely nothing to do with guns. Must be why he has made it easier for those with, in parenthesis, mental health issues to get their hands on this basic right of all Americans. They are not terrorists. They don't look like terrorists for a start. And we know they're not terrorists because the Don doesn't instantly call for their execution. Perhaps a Friday morning public beheading in the city square, cementing his relationship with those co-lovers of liberty, freedom and democracy, the Saudi royals. Those not locked up by one of their own in a bit of a family dispute, who could provide the executioner from their execution industry assembly line. Well, this week, Donald travelled around Asia, leaving his usual trail of grammatical disasters, of contradictory non-sentences, including declaring he believes Russian big supremo Putin take out when Putin take out says Russia had nothing to do with interfering in Donald's election, and declaring Donald, that is, he believes US security bodies when they say Russia had plenty to do with interfering in Donald's election. Uh, then which one do you believe? I don't follow. Both. The greatest believe ever. Ever. Speaking of Saudi, as the roaring arguments rock back and forth about energy policy and climate change, a report that should put an end to the debate, settle the matter once and for all, turned up with the headline, Gas will be the energy source of the future. And given the unbiased, neutral source of this impeccably, scientifically researched finding was OPEC, the cartel of petroleum exporting producers like Saudi, it's time those long-haired, commie, greeny proponents of unreliable, the wind don't blow, the sun don't shine, crippling government subsidies got back in their box and accepted the inevitability of business as usual. Because people like OPEC and the world's great fossil cartel corporations wouldn't argue that fossils are the future if they thought for one moment this may contribute to a bit of climate change. With equal selflessness, BHP, bloody huge profits, and its offshoot, 30 to us, none to you, and aluminium big polluter, all profit coa, have exceeded the very generous emission baselines allowed under the government's pay polluters billions, look like you're doing something while doing nothing climate scheme, devised by a former big supremo, Clue, he's already featured here today, who knew climate change is crap. 
So as those still claiming to be committed to the Paris Agreement are meeting in Bonn to sort a few things out, bloody huge profits, bloody huge polluters, climate change practice lead, he's called, Graham Winkle, corporate welfare man, and he does a bloody good job because they certainly practice climate change. Anyway, Winkle, corporate welfare man, says Bonn will fail if companies that exceed their very generous pollution baseline are not allowed to keep exceeding and polluting by offsetting their exceeding and polluting with international carbon credits. Sensible solutions to climate change, if there is such a thing, by planting trees in Indonesia and other people's business, for instance, which they would have to plant at a pretty hectic rate to match the forests and rainforests being demolished by other responsible corporate fossils. Though... Good idea when I think about it. Perhaps those companies can plant trees in true blue Aussie, East Gippsland maybe, in a quid pro quo commitment to the world environment. The quid bit does sound appealing. Told you they were selfless. Like our fossils minister Josh Friedem Icebergs interviewed yesterday from Bonn, who explained countries expanding renewables and weaning themselves off fossils had advantages over true blue Aussie like not having all this coal providing lots and lots and lots of lovely profits. Look, it's not like we're doing nothing about renewables, but the economy demands coal must be the major energy source and export earner right up until, until the end of the world. We can't afford not to end the world. As the Lord Rupert of Wapping said, wisely editorialised in a rare attack on the pejorative Dan evil state big supremo, he is threatening the economy by attempting to outgreen the evil Greens leading up to today's by-election. Backing a plastic bag ban. Backflipping on a heroin-safe injecting room trial. They also say he must backflip on the East-West Link, but let's ignore that apparent contradiction. And, and this is the most heinous crime against humanity of all, listener, and resetting the balance of tenancy laws heavily in favour of renters over landlords. Does their evil have no bounds? And to think, finally, the goody-goody public housing and tenant advocates claim the laws don't go anywhere near far enough. If only they had the reasoned balance that great American Lord Rupert of Wapping brings to these matters. Good morning. Thanks, Kevin. That was a great round-up. And as he pointed out, this was a very important week because the yes folk got over the line. We went down to the uh, celebrations uh, in front of uh, the State Library in Melbourne. Big event. Uh, but uh, first up, uh, before the uh, crowd really got into the swing and the announcement was made, we were able to get some opinions from the people who had collected. And I'll have to say... The most articulate fox pop I think I've ever collected. G'day, I'm from 3CR. Can you tell me why you're here today? Uh, just to support all my queer pals and obviously eagerly await the result, hoping it's a good one. Okay, I'm here today um, for the outcome of the, the yes vote, which we're hoping is going to be a resounding yes. Um, my partner and I have been together for 30 years and 58 days. Um, and so we just like the chance to be equal um, like the rest of the country um, and have the chance to celebrate our relationship. It is about full citizen rights, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. At the moment we're treated as second-class citizens. We have less rights than a straight couple that have uh, been in a de facto relationship for six months, and I think that's wrong, and I think it sends a bad message to LGBTI youth in the country who are 
struggling to come to terms with their sexuality and their identity. As long as our government continues to do things like this, like put, put our human rights to a public vote, it's just wrong. And today hopefully will be a turning, big turning point and a big leap forward. Isn't it interesting that, uh, say, gender politics and sexual preference is put above human rights? It's actually gobsmacks me. Um, I just can't imagine us voting on the right, a human right for any other um, part of our community. And the fact that the government ha- had no problem with this and spent $122 million is just ludicrous. Well, stalling. I'm here He's for the yes vote as well. Um, and I mean, I've been involved in sort of campaigning for equal marriage for a long time. Um, but also, my partner and I are legally married in the US. Um, so it would be, and we've been together for about eight years. And so it would be great to have our marriage legally recognised. Um, and also, we've just had a baby. So it would be nice for her to grow up having um, like our marriage recognised in Australia. What's the difference? Why? What? I mean, you could have been in a very you are in a very strong relationship what's what does it really mean for you to be have the community say that you've got equal citizen rights i think it's just a show of solidarity to show that you know we are equal and we're not second class citizens um to heterosexual couples and i think it's a show for young people as well like young lgbti people to say that you know, they get to grow up in a in a country, yeah, in a safe country where their relationship is recognised, where their protections that are equal um, to, to other people. Um, but also for like you know the elders of the LGBTI community um, that you know like they've had to go through this like ridiculous survey and like you know I, I just think of the trauma that that would have had on them um, and like the effect and I think so I think it's really good that uh, you know like if if the yes vote passes that um, they're able to have this recognition that the community is on, does support them and it's just you know a small minority that is you know just bigoted. Thanks. Um, so I live in Queensland and I'd flown down to Hobart to just have a quick visit before Christmas and there wasn't really much happening in Hobart for the announcement so I decided to jump on a plane and um, come over to Melbourne for it. I just needed to be here regardless of what the result is. Um, I just felt that I needed to, to be present. This is like a, a growing up moment for Australia, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It, like, it's potentially history in the making. Um, you know, you, you can you see around the world other countries as they approve um, same-sex marriage and the joy that it's brought and, you know, nothing's happened to those countries. Um, and it just, it's, to me, it's just a no-brainer, the way that people choose to live their life and um, who they love is... It's, it's just like if I was to choose, um, you know, like a male or um, that sort of thing. There's no difference. It, 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 there is just no difference. They're loving somebody. It, and it, that's all it boils down to. It's, it's love. My son and his partner, and they, they live with another guy, another gay guy, they've basically, from the whole start of this, they've um, taken themselves off social media because it, a lot of the stuff that they started... Um, reading was just really hurtful for them and they they were like well we don't want to see this we don't want to be judged on you know walking down the street and holding hands and people sort of pointing at them and 
as if, as if there's something wrong with what they're doing. Um, so it has been it has been a really emotional roller coaster for um, for the community to go through, and it shouldn't have been. It, they shouldn't have had to have go through this. It's it's just wrong that, that, that we have made them do this. We have made them feel. Um, I guess we've made them feel inferior and questioning um, what their worth is. It's just just wrong. Why are you here today? Um, I'm here for obviously marriage equality, but what the issue for me is more importantly is the basic equal human rights for all Australians. I think that's 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 the underlying factor for me that we have to go into a disrespectful vote and be here today. Fingers crossed, it's a yes, but we you know, we still got a long way to go. But I'm, I'm I'm optimistic and positive that yeah. But I've I've been shocked and really hurt personally by the amount of hatred that I've seen in this country from you know, the heterosexuals or the no campaign. Um, I, I honestly didn't think I'd be seeing this in this country in this day and age. I feel like we're going backwards, but hopefully today is a step forward. I'm from uh, 3CR. Uh, You've come out here today because you support human rights. Um, I don't know if I'd describe marriage as a human right. Um, I'm here because I think that in a country like Australia, uh, we have a certain set of civic responsibilities to each other. Marriage is something that some people can have but other people can't. Um, I think that doesn't fly in a contemporary, liberal, pluralistic society like ours. So that's what I'm here today for. Now, I just heard a bet saying that... uh Everybody, it's all an issue about freedom of speech and people people who don't agree with uh, a yes vote should be allowed to be exempted from uh, any future law that gives marriage equality. Have you got any views on that? Yeah, I mean, Eric Abetz hasn't uh, covered himself in glory throughout this debate. I just saw him on the news describing Dean Smith's marriage equality bill as a Greens Labor bill. Now, nothing could be further from the truth. Dean Smith himself is a Liberal, and his bill came out of a cross-party parliamentary process. So I think that gives you a bit of a sense about um, Eric Abetz's relationship to the truth in terms of this debate. Um, In terms of what he's saying about religious exemptions, um, I think that what today should really be about is not um, replacing... Christian theocracy with a queerocracy and forcing everyone to live um, in a way that, um, you know, is aligned to what gay people live like or anything like that. I think that gay people um, know better than most people what it's like when uh, the laws of Australia and the norms of society um, outlaw ourselves and outlaw the ways of life that are intrinsic to us. Um, And so I wouldn't want anyone to feel like today is... um, uh, the installation of a new set of laws which which forbid the, the way that they want to live. Um, so if I had a message to religious people who are worried about the result of today, then I would say that um, we are not interested in substituting our oppression for anyone else's oppression. Um, I think even in the Dean Smith bill, even uh, re- re- religious pastors and priests are not going to be forced to do gay weddings or anything like that. Um, but equally... The Smith Bill doesn't repeal existing anti-discrimination laws. So, as it stands in Australia, commercial operators don't have the right to discriminate against people you know, on the basis of their race or sexuality or anything like that. Um, and I haven't been—I haven't seen any arguments that convince me that, we, that today should be about repealing the ability to discriminate against people. So, I think that Eric Abetz is clinging to a fading hope. Um, 
clinging to a fading vision of an Australia that doesn't exist anymore. Um, I hope that today is a repudiation of his views um, and I hope that whatever legislation for marriage equality ends up passing the Parliament, and I think the Dean Smith Bill is a pretty good candidate, um, it, it is a piece of legislation that doesn't make anyone feel like they don't have a place in Australia um, and really signals to gay people that, yes, this is a place where you have just as many rights as everyone else, um, but also doesn't force religious people to live according to a gay lifestyle because it's obviously ridiculous. Um, Given that you, you've said that, which is a really interesting analysis, uh, is the me mainstream media addicted to adversarial uh, creations, basically? Yeah, it is, but also this whole process is designed to create an adversarial system. You know, the fact that we are having a national debate, a national opinion poll on whether or not we should be granting other people the same abilities as everyone else, um, I think is a, a stunning and profound per perversion of democracy. Um, you know, we heard the other day um, from one of the conservative politicians against marriage equality um, that, um, I think it was Matt Canavan, that we shouldn't have the tyranny of the, uh, of the, of the minority in Australia. Um, and I assume that means that he doesn't want gay people to sort of lord it over everyone else now that they're sort of winning the debate. Well, very rich people to lord all over everybody else. Well, exactly. And I think, I mean, <laughs> the very thing that he's wanting, which is the, the losing no vote to retain their rights, is itself the tyranny of the minority. But it, the, the more fundamental point is that a democracy is supposed to avoid uh, many kinds of tyrannies, including both the, the tyranny of the minority and the majority. The point is that the rights that we accord to people shouldn't be subject to the tyrannies of either a small, powerful few or a large number of people. Um, and the fact that we're even having to have this debate, I think, shows the, the, the profound failure of the democratic system to remember exactly what it's supposed to do, which is accord people uh, you know, equal treatment under the law, irrespective of whether the population thinks that or not. Um, so I think that the stuff we've seen from some of the conservative uh, opponents of same-sex marriage has been a really um, corrosive force, not just for, for, for queer people, but for everyone who cares about the health of the democratic state. Thanks very much. No worries, thanks. We've been in a same-sex relationship for seven years and we don't necessarily need to get married. It's pretty much our manifesto, but for us, it's for everyone who wants to, who's been locked out of that institution for so long. We're here to support them today and just the greater umbrella of equality. Isn't it interesting that uh, it is a call for marriage that's been used as the a method of describing uh, gay people as separate from the straight community? I'm devastated that children, even our relationship has been under scrutiny these past few months, unnecessarily long <laughs> campaign. So as I said, for us, it's, it's the equality side of the marriage equality um, equation. Um, but the fact that it's used as a, as a political tool and that our, our existence, our proud existence has been put under such strain it's been difficult. It's interesting, isn't it, because what they're really saying is even even with this campaign that gay people are different. Yeah, which obviously I don't agree with. <laughs> I think that difference should be respected and appreciated and that everyone has the same 
everyone should have the same access to basic human rights. Whether or not you believe in the institution of marriage, um, that's a matter of personal opinion. But we absolutely believe that our, our friends and family and the wider queer community should have the same access to the institution of marriage or, you know, the, the same ability to define what their love means to them. Thanks. You guys, I'm from 3CR. Can you tell me, you've come dressed up as uh, blushing brides. Yes, we have, and it's um, just going to be hopefully a glorious day when we hear the almighty yes, and we're able to have the same rights and freedoms and equality as everybody else. Hi, I'm Aaron Pedersen, and you're listening to 3CR. And now the official results of the Australian Marriage Law Postal Survey. For the national result, yes responses, 7,817,247, representing 61.6% of fair responses were yes. No responses, 4,873,987. Is that not the best feeling? Thank you so very much. Melbourne, we always knew you deliver. It's overwhelming. The trade movement. We are lucky in Victoria. We have got the best trades movement in the country down here. And when it comes to hitting the ground, knocking on doors, hitting shopping centres, running sausage sizzles and phone banking, no one does it better than the Victorian Trades Hall. And one of their leading uh, campaign officers actually took it under her wing to run the equality campaign down here in Victoria. We are delighted to have her energy, passion, love and support from the Victorian Trades Hall. We'll strike. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land that we are celebrating on today and pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal people who are here with us today. This land was stolen, never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I apologise, I'm going to read from what I've written just because I'm a bit brain fucked at the moment to be totally honest. All right, friends, today we celebrate. We've all come a really long way, all of us. LGBTI people, our friends, our families, our allies. All of us have worked so hard to achieve dignity, respect, equality and fairness. And speaking on behalf of the Victorian Union Movement, I say to you that we are proud to have stood in solidarity in that fight. And look at us, look at us working together. We did something amazing. When LGBTI people first stood up against prejudice and discrimination, when they first started coming out, they were beaten up, 
that were sacked from their jobs and they were treated as less for daring to take action for something better. They could never in their wildest dreams have imagined a day like today when the majority of Australians would say yes to marriage equality. On behalf of my team and the Hall, I want to thank the tens of thousands of people who took action for this campaign, who knocked on doors, who made phone calls, who put up posters, who did whatever they needed and were able to do. All of those millions and millions of conversations over dining, over the dinner table, over the barbecue, over the water cooler, over and over and over again. And I want to thank the millions of people who voted for fairness. For the idea that every Australian should be able to marry the person they love. But I especially want to acknowledge those LGBTI people who came before, whose bravery paved the way for today. And I want to acknowledge the LGBTIQ young people who waited with their hearts in their mouths to see the outcome of this survey. You now know that the majority, in the majority of Australia, you are loved, you are accepted. You are heard and you are seen. It gets better and our future is brighter. Our country has changed and we are all the better for it. So now we celebrate and tonight we party. So if you're around, come join us outside Trades Hall. There will be music. There will be food, there will be drinks, but best of all, there will be community, and as with anything with the union movements, there will be solidarity. So one more time, my friends, I want to introduce Luke. He's the Secretary of Trades Hall, and he's the one that when this postal survey was announced, and I lost my shit, held it together, pulled us together, and said, we will make this happen. And he's going to help lead this chant. It's two questions. The answer to the first question is marriage equality. And you know the answer to the second question. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. Well done, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Uh, now there's someone, <coughs> looks like in the front of Parliament House, trying to claim the victory in this. 
I know you can't really see the TV, but I love that you knew who I was talking about. Um, uh, that's what we call when you fail to do your job. We can only hope that the next person to fill that role will show much more leadership than the current one. And uh, look, we all know politics is a, a fickle game, isn't it? But this is what I find very noble of the opposition government at the moment. They've been champion for marriage equality. Their party changed their platform to support it. They uh, got a conscience vote. Now they could have kept this up their sleeve to use as an electoral campaign mechanism. But instead they want it done, they want it dusted, they want us to get married. And uh, there's been some very significant speakers from uh, the Labor Party and over this campaign trial, but none more so than the opposition deputy leader, Tanya Plibersek in Sydney. We're privileged to have uh, QC Mark Dreyfus regularly at our uh, rallies, but today we've got the big gun from Maribyrnong. and the leader of the ALP, and potentially the country's very next Prime Minister, Bill Shorten. Yes, yes, yes! What a fabulous day to be an Australian. Because in this survey, the Australian people have declared overwhelmingly, Australia is ready for marriage equality. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you first and foremost to members of our LGBTIQ community. You shouldn't have had to put up with this survey, but you embraced it. I feel for young people who have had their relationships questioned in a way which I wouldn't have thought we would see ever again. But nonetheless, what this marriage survey, this marriage equality survey shows, is that unconditional love always has the last word. It may have been 61% who voted yes in the survey, but I want to say to all LGBTIQ Australians, you are 100% loved, 100% valued, and after the next two weeks of Parliament, 100% able to marry the person you love.
This marriage equality survey is not just good for marriage equality. I believe in this survey Australians have voted for a generous view of themselves, for a modern Australia where diversity is accepted, supported and respected. And I just want to make one promise, one promise. Today we celebrate, tomorrow we legislate. I'm from 3CR. Are you glad that Australians got it right? I am overboard. <laughs> Absolutely overboard. Can I ask you how you feel about this? Well, I haven't had such a big cry in a while, so it's good. I feel really good. My little girl's going to be able to be a flower girl for her mummies. So. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> Can I ask, are you happy? That was a policewoman. She was happy too. I was just uh, flabbergasted. I was like, I just broke down after hearing it. Like, um, yeah, I just, I just grabbed this guy and yeah, hugged him. Pretty excited. Just Are you happy that, yeah, that Australians got it right? Yeah, I was pretty confident it was going to be a yes, but still part of me was thinking it could be a no, but to see such a big response, it's amazing. How do you feel? Oh, amazing, I'm so happy. How about you guys? I am so ecstatic, it's amazing. Nine years being together, we can now get married, hopefully. Are you proud of Australians? Absolutely, I really am. And they've come to the party and they've voted for equality. I paid my dues time after time. Done my sentence, but committed no You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.